Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. My guest today is Senior Portfolio Manager Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Dan. Well, last week, Chris, Fed Chair Powell uh, intimated that a move away from his prior indication of two 2019 rate hikes. Uh, expectations, he said, are now a hold on rates throughout year end. Uh, you know, the market's uh, reaction over the next two to three months could really set the foundation for the short to mid, uh, mid-term expectations. And so our question for you this morning is, is you know, why the dramatic shift in Fed policies and, and, and policy here, and, and what are the, the implications moving forward? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, we shouldn't be surprised by, by the shift. You know, Powell all along, it says he's data-dependent. And as we anticipated with the, the slowdown throughout 2018, it was going to set to continue, and the data got increasingly worse, and they'll want to blame it on a glitch. But that, that really wasn't it. Um, but I think what really spooked the Fed, because they are very cognizant of kind of how capital markets work and kind of how important risk assets are, was when we really started to see the breakdown in credit markets in October. Um, and they knew they needed to, to change policy and, more importantly, start to provide liquidity. Uh, but they're basically signaling, we're at the end of this cycle. We're at the end of the rate hike cycle. Um, and this is cycles no different than any other cycle we've been in. So you, so you mentioned you think we're at the end of the rate height cycle. Uh, does that uh, suggest that we're, we're entering a space of, of slowing growth? And do you think that's what this, uh, this rate hold means? Yeah. Oh, there's no question. Growth is still set, set to slow. Uh, you know, just looking at the, our indicators that we follow that will lead the leading indicators, uh, things are set to slow. There's, there's nothing in the cards that says the slowdown's not going to continue. And that's not just here in the U.S. It's, it's in Europe as well and China as well. Uh, about the only area of the world that looks like it's about to start to grow again is, is India, which, you know, for the most part, is immaterial to U.S. investors. Right, sure. Uh, at least today, anyway. Uh, so if we're reading into the yield curve, right, it's a you know, fairly unusual yield curve, to say the least. You know, what, what would you say that that's telling us today? Yeah, the yield curve is telling us this cycle is no different than any other cycle. And, and it's interesting, you know, we're at that stage where people are saying, oh, it's different this time. The yield curve signals aren't relevant, and there's a hundred reasons why they're not. Uh, and nothing could be further from the truth. It's a very deep and liquid market, and the yield curve signals have not changed any at all. So if you want to look, let's go back and look at the Eurodollar uh, futures curve. Uh, that yield curve's been inverted for a number of quarters, and the problems, for the most part, are outside of the U.S., so that's where we should see it first. All the U.S. yield curve is telling us now is, look, the U.S. isn't immune to the slowdown in the rest of the world, and it's a you know it's playing out with the classic cycle. We can see it. The Fed raised rates. They first slowed down housing. Housing usually leads by up to 18 months. Housing market broke in the first quarter of 2018. Here we are 12 months later, and we're seeing the rest of the economy follow suit, which would typically say you'd have a recession in the back half of this year. So you, you mentioned housing, right? So if you mentioned housing breaks uh, first quarter 2018. Uh, well, this move we've seen over the last few days has, has made a meaningful impact on, on mortgage rates. You know, where, where do you see yeah. those uh, you know, trending toward? Yeah. Now, they're... It is stimulative. There's no doubt about it. And we've had a lot of stimulus just with um, the uh, 
liquidity that was injected into the market in the fourth quarter by not just our own central bank, uh, but foreign central banks as well. And then with the shift down in the curve, that is increasing liquidity for housing. And, you know, we've seen some stability in that sector. And, and again, we were believers that we're structurally short homes in this country. And so that activity is there, but we're still got have to deal with the issue we've talked about before, which is, you know, we're recessing, recessing price. There's a lot of liquidity. Homes still aren't broadly affordable. So we don't think there's a big, you know, V-shaped recovery in housing activity. We just think there's a, a good solid foundation there that we can slowly build from over time. And that will lend some support to the economy. Uh, and, and then another another area that could uh, potentially be affected by uh, this this slowdown in, or I guess this this halting in, in rates rate hikes um, is the uh, expectation of, of corporate debt. Uh, do you envision a, a continued ramp up in that cycle, uh, given what the uh, the implications of the move last this past week has been? Now, I I don't think we'll see a big re-leveraging. Um, you know, to the extent certainly the companies that are incredibly profitable. Uh, that continue to be able to generate a lot of free cash flow, they'll continue to maintain their levels of leverage in order to continue to do share buybacks. But by and large, corporate balance sheets are pretty full as it relates to debt capacity. So there's not a lot of room there. Um, so I don't think there's going to be a big re-leveraging at this stage. And I think certainly the, the, the real answer is, or the real question is going to be, what's the corporate response if we do see a continued slowdown? And in that situation, not only will they not be re-leveraging, they'll probably be paying down debt and trying to shed some employment. No, that's interesting. So, you know, the, those companies that have already made the decision to go out and, and heavily over-lever their balance sheets, they've already probably made that move at this point. Yep. Right. Uh, just shifting gears a little bit, you know, we've, we've seen a really substantial substantial rally since mid-December or late December. Uh, and I guess maybe the important distinction here is, is a separation between the market and the economy. But we've had this, you know, really significant bounce back um, after a, a tough Q4. And that, that seems not to be signaling um, much the economy, considering we are, we are fairly slow to, to on a recovery sense. Yeah, I think the recovery we saw that really began in the back half of December was driven by stimulus and monetary stimulus. You know, we saw our own Fed uh, inject some liquidity into the marketplace. Uh, China came out with, you know, both barrels uh, and increased the credit and tried to create a credit impulse. And and the reaction function within the equity markets um, certainly makes sense. However, I think it's very misguided. Uh, They're going back to the playbook that we saw at the beginning of 2016. And at the beginning of 2016, when China's stimulus really ramped up, It was at a time when, A, it was going to be a lot more effective because it was very broad and it hadn't been used to that degree before. And at the same time, we were coming out of an industrial recession. So there was real economic activity that was going to drive economic growth. This is very different. Um, So in this cycle, we've seen a big ramp up in China monetary stimulus and and in credit but really, it's not leaving the banking system. All of that increase in credit and that increase in monetary stimulus in China within the banking system is just offsetting the decline within their shadow banking system. So it's not getting to the rest of the economy. So there is no pickup in economic activity yet in China. And that's important because you know, when you look at the other Asian nations, they feed into China. That weakness there is going to continue 
really when you look at Europe, and we saw it today with the PMI numbers out of Germany, uh, they're abysmal, and they're clearly heading into recession, and that makes sense. Europe is an export-led economic bloc, and their leading exports are going into China, and China is slowing. I mean, we're going to be wrestling with going forward, and it's going to start getting more and more discussion, is, is China going to have a hard landing? Uh, which if they do, there's no question there's going to be a recession. It's just going to be how deep, how broad, and is it global? Uh, but there is absolutely nothing in the cards right now that says economic activity is going to pick up. And we need to see it very soon or, you know, this market's going to be in trouble for 2019. Yeah, and I think that's that's a great segue, right? So, you know, economic activity is, is, is slowing. And, you know, as you, as you look out at the market now, you know, how much of that is, is priced in currently? Yeah, uh, none. Um, what the market is pricing in, they're pricing in, hey, you know, we've seen this before. The world's slowing but the central banks around the world are coming to the rescue again. And so the knee-jerk reaction is equity prices move up into the right. Uh, you know, credit spreads compress. Everything's going to be fine. Um, and that's where we are, right? We're in that part of the cycle where, um, whether it's Ben Bernanke saying subprime is contained or, you know, any other you know, central bank around the world saying, hey, don't worry, you know, we haven't tightened too much. We're ready to do what we can uh, to keep things going. And so the market's pricing in that that monetary policy is still going to be effective. Uh, and with that, we're going to get a second half recovery. So we're, for the first time in history, are just going to have one to two quarters of negative earnings declines. And then we're going to ramp back up in the back half of the year. Hey, look, anything's possible, uh, but that would certainly be in the tail of the curve and not the belly of the curve if that's how this actually played out. Um, and the other thing that's just very different this time is, and I think this this could be a situation where we see kind of 2019 go down in the history books of it will be the year we acknowledge that monetary policy has lost its effectiveness. Uh, and with that, we're going to have to go and start looking for, for new tools. Yeah. Um, before we touch on that, I want to interject one question. So if you mentioned you know, we, if, if the market's pricing in a, a ramp up uh, in the second half of the year, you know, the, the world may very well be slowing, but you know, we're, we're seeing second, uh, central banks, you know, what you described as coming to the rescue. We're seeing credit, preds, comp- credit spreads compressing. Um, you know, does that mean, and one of the things we talked about a handful of times here, does that mean the short vol trade is, is likely to be pressed back on? Yeah, I think that's really what we've seen uh, since the end of December. Um, and it will be, but I think it's temporary. Uh, I think it'll be transitory. Uh, you know, from a secular standpoint, I think volatility is rising, not falling. Um, unless we really ramp, it depends on the policy choices we choose in our next slowdown. Uh, but I think it's going to be very difficult to continue to contain volatility because the system itself is going to become increasingly fragmented, not just within economic growth and activity and, and where earnings and private liquidity is going to come from, but just where monetary stimulus is going to be able to be effective. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so you, you know, before you, or actually that was the last question, you mentioned policy tools, right? And so let's just say we, we go through the scenario that where we, we do not have a recovery, right? We, we slide into a recession. Um, uh, uh, what does the Fed have left? Right. What, what, what policy tools remain um, at their disposal that they haven't already exhausted? Yeah, I, it's important to understand. People say, you know, the Fed's out of tools. They're never out of tools. 
they're just out of tools that don't have um, negative implications. And so I think where we are in this is, and it's important to understand what's driving policy decisions. Policy decisions are not being driven by what's best for the economy, what's best for the middle class, what's best for capital markets. Decisions around policy, and these are going to increasingly become kind of blurred between monetary policy and fiscal policy, are driven by the fact that we have over-levered balance sheets in both the public and private sector, and this has become a global phenomenon since uh, 08 and 09, and we, in order to support the amount of leverage on those balance sheets, we need to keep risk assets out elevated, and that's going to become increasingly difficult to do. Um, so I really think, you know, we don't have an antidote. Uh, we're, we're picking between two different poisons in the next slowdown slash recession. And, and I think they're going to come, you know, kind of in, in two forms. Either we're going to follow the path of Japan and we're just going to try to paper and monetize, monetize everything. And so QE will expand and start buying risk assets um, and we'll just go down that path. Um, or it's going to look a lot like what we've heard a lot of discussion around, which is MMT and the modern monetary theory that's neither modern nor monetary. I mean, it's just plain old-fashioned uh, you know, uh, monetary support for deficit spending. Um, but what it, what it really means is policy choices are going to be driven more and more by the politics and less and less by what's fundamentally needed um, and so it's going to lead to, you know, winners and losers for sure. Um, and that's why I think we end up with, with a lot more volatility. Great. Well, Chris, thank you so much. Excellent, as always. I uh, really appreciate your time. And uh, we very much look forward to your, uh, for your next visit through the podcast Good room. Good to be you. here, Dan. Yep. Thanks. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any other podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services in any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indic indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws.